Hello, sports fans. This is Jeremy Taché, and this is Miami Miked Up, presented by Cold Blue Vodka. If you haven't tried Cold Blue yet, head over to your nearest Total Wine or select Sam's Club's locations to pick up an ice sculpture bottle. It's the perfect refreshing drink to enjoy on its own or in your favorite cocktails, mojitos, Bloody Marys, martinis, Moscow mules, and more. Cold Blue Vodka is gluten-free, crafted from American-sourced corn, and distilled eight times. Easy to sip on, enjoyable, and the best part, no hangover the next day. I repeat, no hangover the next day. Our friends over at Cold Blue Vodka gave us a promo code for our listeners. Head over to coldbluevodka.com and use the code BALLY20 for 20% off. That's one word, B-A-L-L-Y-2-0, for 20% off your online order. Cold Blue Vodka, redefining the blue-collar lifestyle. Now, let's get to the show. And I'm very pleased to welcome in on this episode of Miami Miked Up, someone who I've been looking forward to talking to in some sort of capacity like this for a very long time. She works at ESPN wearing a million different hats. She is also a co-owner of the Chicago Red Stars, a Cornell grad, and according to her own Twitter bio, a washed up heptathlete, which we will get into (laughs) at some point in this conversation. Sarah Spain, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, first question for you, um, and we've been starting everybody on on the show with this, but it's what's something outside of the workplace that has brought you joy recently? Ooh, um, well, snuggling with my dogs always, always brings me joy. Um, I also just had our annual Michigan tree hunt where my friends and I go to where my parents have a house in Michigan about 90 minutes outside Chicago. We go out okay. to big boozy lunch and then we go to a tree farm and normally you take the horse out and you cut down your own tree with a saw very norman rockwell-esque and and then wrap it all up and then we go to a winery and then we go back to the house and make a big dinner and have a sleepover we did not get to murder our own tree this year which is very sad we had to get a pre-cut at the tree place because we were a little later in december but still all the holiday joy of getting all my friends together and you know having drinks in an igloo and making a big dinner and playing, you know, games and all that brought me a, a lot of joy. That's amazing. I That is a ridiculous tradition compared to anything years. that we can have yeah. down here in South Florida. That's for sure. It, it is right. not- you would actually take a boat out and then have an inflatable palm tree on the boat and something you can make your own version. Yeah, I guess we'll try to figure it out someday. If anybody can think of something that is the Miami version of that, okay. definitely, uh, I guess, tweet at us and let us know. Um, but Sarah, originally I wanted to talk to you because we were going to talk Heat and Bulls and recap that game and everything that was going on in the Eastern Conference. And now, at the moment, the Bulls have just recently canceled their most recent game and there's a COVID outbreak. Um, The Heat are dealing with it themselves to some respect um, before playing against the Cavs tonight as we record this conversation. So we'll sort of skip past some of the basketball we originally planned on getting into and just get right into you and your career. So um, I'm actually fascinated by your path to get here. Um, And I know that it's sort of a unique one. We've talked about it a little bit before. But the, the way that I wanted to phrase this question was, at what age did you know that you loved sports? And then at what age did you know you wanted to make it part of your career and what you did going forward? Yeah. I mean, I would say from a very young age, I knew I loved sports. My parents were super active, funny. They don't really watch sports. So that was part of the second answer, but we played a lot of golf and tennis 
and we played softball in the backyard. We made up games. I have an older sister. Um, and so it was just a constant, extremely active. And, you know, both my sister and I were tall. I was six feet tall by the time I was 12. So in junior high, Holy it's cow. like you also have an affinity for things that you're good at. So if you're faster, stronger, you know, hand-eye coordination, all the stuff. So I got really into sports at a very young age and loved them from the very beginning. Um, turning it into a career came a lot later. Uh, despite my love of playing and then my obsession with the Bulls and Michael Jordan and all of that, um, we didn't watch a lot of sports in our household except for tennis, um, especially when I was young. And then um, it just didn't occur to me. I just didn't see women doing it, especially around the Bulls. Right. There were no women analysts. And I think Melissa Isaacson had a couple bylines. She was covering the team, but I wouldn't look at the bylines when I read the stories. I would look at, you know, what they were saying about the Bulls. And so visually there were no women anywhere except for the lovables, uh, which was not my jam. Um, and so I went off to college. I was an English major. I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live or host Talk Soup, uh, the version of it that was back in the day with like Greg Kinnear and stuff. Um, or, you know, something performative. I was all state and band and chorus and I wanted to do all that stuff, but it was always at the exact same mm -hmm. time as sports and sports. It was like, you kind of know, I'm not going to the Olympics. I'm not going to be a professional. So I'm done after college. So focused on that, moved out to LA. And it wasn't until even a couple years into LA that I was hosting a, you know, TV hosting boot camp to try to like audition for the e-network, like, you know, wow. that kind of stuff. And I hosted a fake Chicago Bears show just because they said, what are you an expert in? And I was like, well, not interior design, not, you know, all the stuff that people were in there for trying to be on HGTV and stuff. I was like, I'm not going to talk about like literature. So I'll just talk about right. the Bears. And um, that was it. She said, oh, this seems like a natural fit. And uh, nah, there's no women, you know, and the women that are doing it, they don't get to be funny. They all look like supermodels or like very serious anchors. And I, you know, there's no place for me to use, you know, my improv and second city and all that stuff I love. And right. then she was like, well, you should give it a shot. Just like, think about it. So I took a class at UCLA extension and TV sports reporting. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I can use the sort of extemporaneousness of, of improv for the interviews. I'm a writer. I, you know, I have a background as an athlete, three sport athlete. So um, it all kind of came together when I was maybe 24 or 25 is when I actually started thinking about it. It's unbelievable to see the way, because I've seen so many of these conversations that you've had on your own podcast with people who have had sort of the same type of thing, which is I loved sports. And I loved performing. And so let me figure out how to merge those two. It's kind of the same thing that, that I've been trying to do, which is getting into sports broadcasting because of that, loving performing and loving sports. And so finding that sort of um, mix was, was huge. You're someone who's really versatile in what you do on the air and, and also sort of, you know, as a writer as well. So wearing a bunch of different hats, do you think that being a heptathlete actually helped you with your versatility once you became a professional as well? I don't know if it's like a chicken and egg situation where it's like, well, okay. I'm not going to be the best at anything, but I can be really good at a lot of things, which is the same as the heptathlon. I sort of have always said jack of all trades, master of none, which I'm okay with. I, I guess maybe same. if I had found <laughs> that thing that I was better than everyone at and everyone knew it and they were like, oh my God, this is the thing. Maybe some of the other things would have dropped off, but instead I was just very good at most things. Um, and that allowed me to pursue all of them and find out what I was interested in. I also have parents that are not um, overwhelming and, and busybody, and they just were like, do what you wanna do. You wanna try that, you wanna mm -hmm. try this, you wanna do this, you wanna try this. They weren't like, well, but if you spend time doing this, you won't be focused on this and that'll be bad for the ability to do. You know, they weren't 
thinking like that. They were thinking like, what, figure out what you like and find that out by trying lots of things. Um, and then thankfully they had enough money to let me stick with all those things. Cause it's expensive. Now yep. that I'm an adult, I'm like, damn, you guys brought me to <laughs> AAU basketball and futures field hockey and, uh, you know, junior Olympic track and clarinet lessons and singing lessons and state championships oh. for all the things. Like it's kind of wild when I think about it, but I'm so grateful because I actually think not only for what I care about and what satisfies me, which I love sports, but if I just was thinking X's and O's every day and I really only cared about like that kind of stuff, I think it wouldn't be very fulfilling. And I would feel like I wasn't doing good on the planet while I'm here. And so right. having had experiences in other outlets that informs me and allows me to bring those into my work. And then I can talk about other things and tie things to sports in a way that I think is super interesting. And hopefully other people do too. And if they want just the numbers, they can go elsewhere. Um, but that's more interesting for me than just like the straight, like debating who's going to win what. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and honestly, in, and this is not to like blow smoke, but in watching some of your ethos there in the way that you go about doing that and, and other leaders, you know, Dan Levitard and other people within the industry who have a similar ethics behind all of it, a similar approach, it's been able to pave the way for people like me to have shows like this, where I talk to you about your life and your career, because that's a part of sports that we care about, you know, and it, it's whether it's the athletes or whether it's the people informing us about the athletes, we've grown to care about more than just the X's and O's, hopefully, at least the people listening yeah. to this probably yeah. should be if you're still <laughs> listening. And, and that's not to say we don't care about the X's and O's. There's plenty of outlets for it, but this is a place for for more than that. And so when you were first getting into the industry and you were coming up against some of these barriers to entry, what was maybe a, a, a tough lesson or a great piece of advice that you received early on that sort of helped you penetrate through and, and be able to make headway the way that you did? I definitely was naive. Um, I even read some books about the industry and, you know, things that I should expect as a woman. And I think because I'd always been sort of just brash about like, if I work really hard and I do things really well, then there shouldn't be any problems. Right. And that had worked for me in junior high and high school and college, but right. I'm very privileged. Right. I grew up in a great area. I got to go to an amazing Ivy league school. I worked my ass off and I, I, I worked for it, but like, Plenty of people who are smarter and better than me at everything could could not have had those opportunities despite all of their hard work. So I was aware of that, but I think I really realized that when I started to get into sports and I moved back to Chicago after living in LA for six years to take a job at a startup website. And despite not having a master's, despite not being a journalism major, despite never having covered a single team other than, you know, writing some articles for the Cornell Daily Sun about soccer and some other sports, just as a, just, we'll just, this is what they assigned me to because I was an athlete. Right. Um, I started being sent straight into locker rooms of professional teams. So, you know, a lot of people, I envy that they were at like a college level or maybe even covering high school. Instead, my very first gig is, okay, go interview the Blackhawks, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, the team's about to make this incredible turnaround. They're one year away from their first Stanley Cup in 50 years. So they are the talk of the town. And Holy cow. what I learned with that and the Bulls and the Cubs that year was that what I knew about myself and my own intentions and what I knew about who I was as a person didn't matter if what everybody else thought about me was something different, as unfair as that might be. And so being a woman, six feet tall, I got a big rack of lamb, can't put them anywhere, can't hide them, that's just <laughs> life, right? Um, 
and not having known any of the people in those rooms from coming up. I had been out of Chicago right. for six years. I was, you know, my high school is north of Chicago. I didn't grow up in the city. So other than Rick Tellender, whose kids went to my high school, who I knew, I'm in a room full of people. They're like, where'd she come from? And what's her deal? And I was also working for a startup website where the goal was to get the players, you know, kind of personalities and get them to be funny. It wasn't to ask, how's the penalty kill doing or something right. like that. It was literally like, hey, Christopher Stieg, I heard you wrapped all of Fergie's Glamorous at the Halloween party without needing any teleprompter. Like, can you do some right now? So they're over in the other corner asking, you know, about the PK and I'm over here and Chris is like, I'm talking champagne. <laughs> and I, and that's what I was supposed to be doing. And I did it really well to the point where the Blackhawks started doing videos like mine because they realized fans loved it and they wanted to get to know the players, but that's not always going to ingratiate you to people who've been on the beat forever. And they're like, what is this? Right. And so unfortunately I had to deal with all the stuff you hear about. I was maybe in the clubhouse for two weeks, two and a half weeks. I don't think any of the players even knew my name. And I heard from someone who worked in the business that a longtime reporter had gone to the PR staff and said, I must be sleeping with one of them because they were giving me better answers. Unbelievable. Um, again, I'm 27, I think. So I'm 27 and I'm talking to them like them and I'm not, you know, flirting and being weird. I'm just talking to them like, and maybe some 55 year old dude who's been at it for years just doesn't connect with them that way. Or maybe he's boring because he's been in there every day for 30 years, whatever. Um, so that was really hard for me. The same thing with the Cubs. I had issues where a, a friend of mine that I had made was in one of the meetings and the PR staff said that my boobs were distracting and she thankfully was in there and she's like, well, what's she supposed to do with them? Like, that's, you know, crazy. And yeah. so it was all the stuff I had heard about, but for whatever reason, being as entitled as I was, I walked in, I'm like, I'm a division one athlete, Ivy league work super hard, come in and ask good questions. Don't get in the way. I'm going to be fine. It's all the other people that get messed with. And as it turns out, it's not, it's about the other people. It's not really about you. And so that was a tough lesson, but the good advice I got was somebody who'd been in the business forever, Steve Cochran. And he said, just be so good that they can't say no to you. And so I came up a bunch of barriers. I had a lot of issues then getting access to the athletes and, and it was really tough. And then when I got hired by ESPN, come back in with ESPN credential, it's like, oh, I guess I'm back. And now you can't yep. say no. Um, so it was great advice from him and I took it. That's amazing. It, it it just it takes a a special level of perseverance, I imagine, to be able to do that. And it's not something that's easy. And I watch, especially now with the way that social media has blown up. Um, and, and you have taken part in the conversation in terms of trying to to halt some of the just right. awful language thrown at women in this business. Um, and outside of this business, just women right. on the internet in general, for the most part. I also want to just say really quickly, like one thing that I don't think people understand is how violating it is to women if they are not seeing themselves in a sexual way and don't want to present themselves that way to have it constantly received that way. Exactly. So that at any point in your life, you could be interviewing someone, you could post a photo with some kids on the internet where you're just wearing a t-shirt, you could be doing charity work, like at any moment, you could see yourself as this entire being that is not about what, how someone is pursuing you or seeing you. And instead you'll immediately be reduced back to that. And especially for someone like me, who, for whatever reason, I probably should go to therapy for it. I don't know. Um, I don't really like being, um, sexualized. I like if I'm interested in someone showing that interest and then them giving it back, or right. I like to make it clear to people, I'm not interested. 
I'm not one of those people who wants to like lean over a pool table and see how many people in the bar will check me out. Like, that's just not my thing. I like making people laugh. Sure. I like making a fool of myself and making people laugh. And so it was a real lesson in this industry to learn that like at any moment, no matter how I see myself and what I'm putting out there, that doesn't mean that I get back what I want. And that's not to complain because it's nice that people think I'm attractive. Like that's, I got a few years left of that still being the case. So like, thank you for people who think that, but like truly that's not actually what I want. And it makes me really uncomfortable a lot of the time. And I don't think everyone really understands that. So like, especially when you're young and you're just like finding yourself or you're uncomfortable in rooms that are like, 99.9% men, they probably think it's a compliment. And what it is, is actually like really problematic for you as you're trying to figure out if it's your fault, what am I doing wrong? How should I act differently? But also like, will I not get hired if I'm mean or I turn people down? Like it's way more complicated than most people think. Well, it, it's a whole extra dynamic added to an industry that's hard enough on right. your, your mental health of putting yourself out there to begin with. Right. Like think about the barrier that exists to public speaking for so many people, just in general, you sitting and listening to this right now. Think about the nerves that you get in general for public speaking, then thinking about continuing to rise on something like television or radio and knowing that more and more people might be listening and think about the fear that goes into that to, to begin with right. now, just because you exist. You're being mm -hmm. sexualized on top of that. And that's super degrading and diminishing about all of these other things that we just talked for the first 15 minutes of this about all of these other parts of your personality that you're trying to get out there to be able to become great at this. So it, it, if anyone's listening and has ever made any sort of comments on on the Internet or otherwise like this, it, it is not uh, the compliment that you might think it is. Um, and we should be looking at people as entire human beings please. Um, and that's such a big part of actually your podcast, Sarah. That's what she said, um, which I love the format of um, in the way that that you start podcasts. And then there's a moment in the middle. And then there's these moments at the end. And what I mean by that is at the beginning, every guest has to give you a dilemma that they're facing and, and you help them solve it. And then in the middle, they tell you their favorite word. And at the end, you have what is called the Spanish Inquisition. And there's a number of sort of rapid fire questions. Um, one of them that I, I really like that you ask is actually people's biggest failure um, or something that they like to improve about themselves, because I think that that delves into a place. But why did you choose dilemma and favorite word and the idea of having this Spanish Inquisition at the end of your podcast. What do you think that that does for the listener? And what do you think that it, that it helps for, for interview purposes? Spanish Inquisition was always a part of it. It's something I actually wanted to at one point. So I remember reading the Proust questionnaire which um, you can look it up. And, and I believe it, at one point it was the end of every Vanity Fair magazine, the last page. And it was these uh, questions based on Marcel Proust and, and, and celebrities would answer them. And it would be similar to the kind of format. And then I thought about the idea of the Monty Python sketch, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. So hence right. my version of the, Mars, of the Proust questionnaire was the Spanish Inquisition. And I like the idea of some questions that you will never be able to figure out how to get into the natural course of conversation being... Uh, having an opportunity to ask them. And then also the idea of comparing them with other people and how people understand and, and answer certain questions. Some of them are just fun, you know, and you learn something about someone when you ask them if they could have any band dead or alive perform at their next party, who would it be? And you right. also learn a lot about someone when they say the thing about themselves they'd like to improve or their most embarrassing moment or things like that. 
So that was always there. And then I, the, the podcast originally lived on ESPNW. Then it made the switch to Levitard and friends. And when it went to Levitard and friends, the higher ups at ESPN wanted it to have more of a specific feel to me as the commission. And that's something that they tell me on a regular basis, it needs more you. And I'm always like, I don't have that problem in any part of life, but when it's the podcast, I want to hear about the person and not interject. And I always think, well, I don't want the person listening to be like, stop talking about yourself. We already know that. Like talk. And that's very true. And I feel that way about some of my favorite podcast hosts. Like I love how they get the answers out of people, but then they start talking about themselves and I'm like, "Mm, okay, okay, okay. Get back to the person. That's why I'm listening. But for whatever reason they've said in general, the people are there for you not the guest. Sometimes, of course, they want to hear the guest, but they want to hear you and the guest. So insert more of yourself. So, okay. So we're trying to brainstorm and I'm thinking, what would the commish do? The commish would rule on things. And so at first it was like, do we have a problem? And I rule whether they're at fault or not. And I was like, no, let's just stick with something simple. Like they have a dilemma or a problem. And then I fix it. Cause I love giving advice and, you know, being, right. you know, it all. And, <laughs> and what's fun about that is that it does make me think about some of those things and how would I fix that? And what would I do if that were my problem? Or maybe it is my problem and I share it and here's what's worked for me. Sometimes I outsource them. Uh, recently, Cal Brandt needed to be uh, coaching four and five-year-olds and learn how to play the four-year-olds, even though they're not as good instead of just the five-year-olds because they were better. And I had to outsource that to Julie Foudy because I'm way too competitive to coach <laughs> and way <laughs> too competitive to play the shitty kids. That's not my style. I'd be like, yeah, you learn. And when you're good enough, you go in. Um, so I was like, I'm going to outsource this to someone who's better with children. Um, and then the word was totally um, organic. I mean, the podcast is called That's What She Said. So we managed to kind of figure out it had a little, you know, it fit, but more so I just love words and I love learning and exploring them and then hearing like what words other people like. Um, so the word of the week, like one of them I already used three times um, after I introduced it, it's, it's apricity, which means the warmth of the sunlight in the winter. And I think it's like the most beautiful word ever. Yeah. And I think it should be the name of like my pop-up bar that serves winter cocktails. And maybe it should be, you know, I mean, apricity is like the most I love that. word and warmth of sunlight in the winter is a wonderful thing to have a word for. So like, I love, I also just learned about Yule holes. Okay. Yule hole is an old Scottish word that means either the last hole on your belt or creating a new one because you've eaten too much festive foods. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad to know that exists and be like, slow down dad, or you're going to be reaching for the Yule hole. I mean, I love learning about it. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, it's, it's great to be able to have something in there that you're right. It taps into the other person's personality, but allows you to sort of explore something that, that you enjoy, which is, I think really important to having your personality within it. That's, that's well, and huge. I like learning things. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of the people who listen, the reason they listen, despite how many like disparate people and characters are on, you could get a Saturday Night Live cast member or an athlete or a sommelier or whoever. If I find it interesting, I hope that you do is because you want to learn about something. And so this adds another element of something that you can learn. And then I also just think for the listener, it kind of my podcast is long storytelling. It's beginning of your life to your career. And so it kind of just breaks it up a little bit, those mm-hmm. elements. Well, and to be able to do that is so important because sometimes interviews can stray all over the place. I know I've had sort of some of my own issues with making sure you keep things on track and in the right order because, like you said, any sort of conversation can go any direction. And I actually think that that's something that is not often appreciated enough in something like what you do, which is you're speaking to so many different people from so many different walks of life 
And you have to be prepared for that conversation to go in any given direction based off what their answers are to your first questions. So what type of preparation goes into that when you need to, like you said, possibly talk to a Saturday Night Live cast member one week and an NFL football player another week? So one I would say is life, right? As we as we talked about earlier, my obsession with all the things, right? So sure. I love <laughs> I love reading and listening to podcasts and, and learning. I don't you know, no judgment on other people, but I'm not good at relaxing. <laughs> I'm also not someone who like plays video games. I like learning things like in my free time, I want to, and that could be even a TV show, but that TV show might be something that I find like really interesting and, and thought provoking. Um, sure. And then also, um, you know, I think a lot of my guests, I, I hand select them. So they're things I'm already interested in. So I am cheating a bit. It's not like I bring someone on to talk about, you know, like uh, car mechanics and I'm like, okay, let's get into it. I know all this, you know what I mean? But there right. are certainly people whose jobs or interests are, are divergent from mine. And then, you know, for, for my podcast, I do put in a lot of work. I do, you know, prep on the person themselves and try to find other profiles and stories and pull the things that I want to get more on. I listen to them on other podcasts sometimes to try to get some of that stuff that, you know, and I don't want it to sound like a copycat of other places, but I want to inform that enough so that I can take a conversation somewhere. And if I hadn't read that or listened, I wouldn't even know to ask and to get into that. And so, um, yeah, it's just the usual, the usual nerdy, uh, research, you know, spending time beforehand, really prepping. And I do have an outline for all of them of the direction I want to go, because part of that is you're running out of time and you look at the last five questions and you think, all right, well, this one's the most important. And because I outlined and prepped, I can know that that's there and I haven't gotten to it. And I can make sure I get it in instead of, you know, running up against it and being like, oh man, there's so much I just thought of that. I didn't, you know, I, I think the prep helps a lot. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that's something, again, that I think any of us who are conducting interviews at any time can relate to. But the word that comes to mind when I'm listening to you talk about all of this is balance. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think probably on, on two different planes. There's like the emotional balance of just finding that downtime and, and whatever it is that you do to sort of unwind. And then there's also the balance of, okay conducting interviews like this but you're also featuring on around the horn and you're doing spain and fits and there's all these different hats to wear so i'd like to start there actually how how do you sort of when you go in one day and conduct an interview that's long form that's an hour and later on that afternoon you're on around the horn and maybe later after that you're doing spain and fits how do you sort of keep yourself mentally prepared to to put on all those different hats yeah, I had one of those on Friday. It was like the around the horn morning call straight to a podcast with next week's guest, uh, Chef Edward Lee, who's a top chef guy and who I've become friends with. And he's got amazing stories. He used to be like a bartender at an S&M club. And he's from Brooklyn I'm so excited. This and is started be cool. restaurants in Louisville. And he'd go hang out with the limo drivers at the country club instead of the people inside and then go frog spearing with them. And anyway, he's just a fascinating, awesome, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, so, you know, around the horn call podcast with chef Ed Lee straight to tape around the horn and then Spain and Fitz. So the nice thing about around the horn Spain and Fitz is it's very, a lot of overlap, right? It's, it's the biggest news sure. of the day. And actually for days like Monday, where I do the first hour solo, it's great if I have around the horn because I'm so sharp on all the topics and I already have my thesis is like, I, instead of just let's talk about this game. Here's what I want to say about it. And I already know that. So Jason Fitz does a digital Monday night football show on Mondays. So I do the first hour solo and then he hops in 
so that's a good day for me to like be ready and prepped and to have spent the whole day already doing um, sports talk, but they kind of scratch different itches. And I would say for the most part, I really like all of them. I love that with writing, when you're done, it's what you wanted and you've edited it down basically to the word, unless your deadline is so wild and crazy. But for the most part, you it's very solitary and lonely. Tomorrow I'm sitting down for the entire day and trying to bang out my Twas the Night Before Christmas annual poem that recaps everything in the sports year. And it takes yep. forever and <laughs> sit in a chair for hours and hours and hours by myself. And then at the end, hopefully I'll like what's out there. TV is a little bit of a balance, right? It's a lot of hurry up and wait because you got to spend time on the prep and the hair and makeup and the research. And then when you get on, you're like quick, like you got to get your thoughts out quick and you might not say it exactly right to the point where sometimes people on the internet are like screaming. You're like, I'm so sorry. I just said it wrong in the 15 seconds that I was trying to spit it out. And I said the wrong thing. Um, and then radio, I've got two hours to really like settle in and create a community with the people and the co-host. And so most of the work in radio actually gets heard. And for someone who likes instant gratification, that's very nice. Same with the podcast. I do a lot of prep, but the whole interview is heard. And then all of you get to enjoy it with me. Um, whereas, you know, writing the hours and hours and hours you spend, that's just you all by yourself. And then everybody gets right. just the final product. Um, so I love the balance. I love the balance. I love the jack of all trades because I don't know that any one of them would be wholly satisfying on their own. Um, although I would love if I just had my own show and it was so awesome and successful that then the rest of the day was like just life and free time. Yeah, uh, that would be fine. But right now I'm, I'm sticking with all the all the stuff. But as someone who just said that you're not necessarily someone who likes to slow down, who likes right. to not be working, this is the perfect thing for well, you. Well, no, I said I'm not good at relaxing. Okay, fair. Oh, okay. So, All right. Yeah. So then let's, yeah, let's no, explore so that. For me, relaxing is like massive costume parties or going to dinner with friends or going to okay. the theater or going to a live concert. Like right now, my radio goes till 8 p.m. every night. So I so there's can't none go to that. most concerts. I can't, I, if I go to dinner, I make my friends go to dinner at 8.30 and like one of them goes to bed at 8.30. So every time she does that, I'm like, thank you for staying up. Um, you know, I, I don't get to see my husband and like make a nice dinner and sit down. We eat dinner, but like at nine and I don't get to like make something fancy because I'm exhausted and I just finished, you know, working from basically 9 a.m. till 8 p.m. Um, so if I had less and it was, but it was well-produced and really popular and everybody loved it. And I could focus on it. Then the rest of the time I could be doing hot Pilates and yoga and trying new recipes and going to theater and all that stuff. So, um, don't quite have the balance on that stuff, but the balance on the kinds of work I do is good. Okay. All right. So baby steps balance yeah. on work first, <laughs> and you can figure out the rest later, I guess. You are listening to Miami mic'd up presented by cold blue vodka. Let me talk about this bottle for a second. This is something you don't see every day. For those of you listening, it is an ice sculpture design that honestly looks like a piece of art. It really stands out on the shelf, so it'll be hard to miss when you head over and pick up your bottle at your nearest Total Wine or Sam's Club locations. And this ice sculpture design on the outside is just as smooth as the great taste on the inside. You guys need to try Cold Blue because it is premium quality, one of the only liquors that doesn't give me a hangover the next day. Follow Cold Blue Vodka on Twitter and Instagram at Cold Blue Vodka. That's C-O-L-B-L-E-U-V-O-D-K-A for South Florida events and new recipes. 
One thing that, that you've taken on in the last couple of years now is your investment as a co-owner in the National Women's Soccer League Chicago Red Stars. Uh, yeah. I thought this was the coolest thing ever when you announced that you were becoming a co-owner, and I've been able to sort of follow from afar a little bit as they've evolved. But for the folks who are totally unfamiliar with the National Women's Soccer League, could you let them know a little bit about it and why you chose to become a co-owner here? Yeah, why I chose to pay a large sum of money to give myself another job, basically. Yeah, Um, yeah, because I guess the rest of the work wasn't enough. Um, National Women's Soccer League is the longest running women's professional soccer league. Um, A couple iterations came before, like the WPS, but this is now almost a decade long. Um, The best players in the world play there. There are some of the greats that are now out in Europe right now, but for the most part, the biggest and best concentration of international talent in women's soccer is in this league. So it's all the ones you love watching in the World Cup and the Olympics and stuff. And um, we have two expansion teams that start this season in San Diego and Los Angeles. So that's exciting. Um, And I want to get involved with it for a couple of reasons. One, because um, I want to put my money where my mouth is. And if I want to tell everybody that women's sports are a great investment and they're not just the right thing, they are a massively good business decision right now and have been mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Um, then I have to actually, you know, show people that I believe that. Um, I also wanted to expand my understanding of the sports industry and my jobs within it. I'm not a, a business person. I've never had like a real job. I've never had to like manage people or fire people. You know, it's this like very like kind of bubble of the kind of work I've done and who I work with and how. So I thought it was useful to like get behind the scenes and work with other like powerful and and influential people in Chicago on something that we wanted to make better and bring our different disparate connections and sponsor, you know, all that too. Um, And then, you know, friends, Julie Foudy and acquaintances, Abby Wambach and Glennon Doyle are part of the team in LA that's about to come out with this incredible ownership group, Billie Jean King and Natalie Portman and Jessica Chastain and Ava Longoria and Jennifer Garner and Alexis Ohani and Serena Williams and all these people. And I thought that's a group I want to be a part of in terms of changing the landscape. And it's been a big learning curve. Um, on the one hand, my instincts and my gut have been right all along because this is my industry and this is what I work in. And the things that I think will work and the ideas that I have, I think have been spot on. But learning about you know, profits and losses and concession percentages and, and arena costs and you know, how long in advance you need the jerseys to have the design and when we do the reveal and who are we trading and who can we protect from the expansion draft and all of that stuff, right? In some ways, it's made me a little more empathetic to owners which I've been pretty tough on in my career. And in other ways, it's made me even more infuriated by how wrongly run everything is and Mm. how people in power and people with money do not do the right thing and do not work to make the places and spaces that people love and hold very dear to themselves as part of their identity, um, places that they can be proud of. And in the NWSL this year, it's been rampant. um, And I am currently not allowed to talk about the specific issues with our team and our coach who resigned the night of the championship game, which we lost in overtime, which was just heartbreaking. We're so close. Um, but the, 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 it, it, it's to all of it. And that is, I have learned the lesson and it has been repeated to me across multiple places, whether that's the Blackhawks this year, whether that's the Red Stars, whether that's other teams that I refuse to let shitty people ruin the things we love. And the answer to shitty people doing shitty things is not to say, 
I hate this now and I'm leaving. It's to say, I want to force their hand to make it better. And that's been what something people have said, well, if you don't like that, you know, NFL lets people with DV in, then why don't you stop watching? Because that doesn't make it any better. Then right. I've let the terrible people win. Well, exactly. if you don't like something that someone at ESPN did, why don't you quit? Because why would I do that? Then I'm just letting all the shitty people do all the things. Like, right. So it's incredibly difficult and heartbreaking and frustrating. And more so when you're on the inside trying to make it better. Um, that happened early on. I butted heads with the commission, former commissioner, Lisa Baird, early on. I didn't like the way she was doing some stuff. I got fined within two weeks of being an owner. Very proud of myself. Um, <laughs> But I was like, shit, I don't like that I'm on the inside now and I'm still having trouble convincing people that doing things the right way and doing them transparently and telling people why and how we're making decisions is the answer because you have nothing to hide if you're doing it right. Why, why, why aren't we being transparent? What are we doing that's not allowed or right? And, and, and that sounds naive, but like, I don't want it to be naive. I want the shit that I care about to be run in a way that we can be honest. And there will always be conflicts between the man and the players or the fans or what is realistic. Things like who you have to trade or how much you pay are not easy fixes, right? Sometimes good players that you love get traded, or sometimes you can't play athletes as much as you like, because the league isn't as you know, financially stable as you would like it to be. And so you could, but be honest, just tell people that. And then they'll be like, we get it. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so it's infuriating to advise that over and over and then have people with more power than you not take your advice. And then exactly what you said happened and then be like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't, I, I can't totally relate because I'm obviously not in that position. <laughs> Uh, but I could definitely uh, sympathize on, on this one where it is it's incredibly infuriating when we hear these types of stories right. of people not doing things above board when it would just be so easy in so many of these well, scenarios and, and, to do the and, right thing. Yeah. Like and not only right, like you should care about doing what's right, but like financially and reputation, like look at Larry Nasser's case, that payout mm. today, that historic, massive payout that could never ever, ever pay for the damage done to those girls. But do you think that if you went back and asked people at USA Gymnastics and Twist Stars and everywhere else, if they would do the same thing now? Absolutely not. Not even just to nope. protect themselves from all of the terrible PR and not even just to protect the young girls that they should have cared about, but money and everything. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's so difficult. And again, when you're in those moments where you want to make a change and it's hard, I just keep reminding myself, like, you can't let the shitty people ruin things you love. You've got to like push through. And I think that's the case across all sports. And it, it is, it's all sports. It's not just, um, you know, the NFL or the big ones where we hear about it. It's happening across women's sports too. And, you know, I think John Amici does a great job of talking about how sports is amazing. Isn't, isn't all just good stuff. The fact that it enables and empowers so many bad things because of our identity being connected to it because of our, you know, defense of an institution over an individual often, you know, we'll, we'll choose the thing we love over like the people who are telling us it's wrong. Um, and we need to talk about that more instead of always just saying like, oh, sports makes everyone happy. <laughs> yeah, well, having those conversations are important, obviously, starting in places like this, but bringing it to even larger platforms. And and that's something that you do. And that's part of the work that you're doing and being involved in that ownership group and, and right. continuing to use your voice with ESPN to advocate for, again, not only what is right, but 
what are just simply like the right financial decisions as well, like the right business things to do. And hopefully more and more often the ethical and business can start to coincide if we just demand it, if we just demand right. it ourselves. So hopefully those things can can continue to happen. Um, I think of ethical and there's nobody I think of more with that word than Tony Reale. And I'm just thinking of Stugatz, but yeah, yeah, Stugatz. No, there's I, I have yet to to speak to someone ever who has not had the best experiences with Tony. Um, he is a super, super kind guy. Obviously, you've been with Around the Horn. You're a mainstay of Around the Horn. You've been there yeah. for a while now and working with Tony. You've also been a host of Around the Horn yourself. As um, Tony. Yeah, as right as Tony, which is if, if if you guys have not seen that, please go find Sarah as as Tony and a number of other characters. We might actually get to right. get to one of them in a minute. Um, but but I, I want to know maybe your most on brand Tony reality story, just because we Tony is such a specific, I think, character in so many of the minds of the people who who watch him. But I think in a lot of ways, Tony is exactly who you see on camera and is very transparent um about about himself so most on-brand tony reality story gosh i'm gonna be so sad later when i think of like another one that i wanted to use because there's so many um well there's i mean there's two brands of reality one is sort of like the hyper manic has so much to say and add that he came on my podcast and i want to say i asked like four questions like I, I would like That's to have, perfect. I would like to have him on again and like put a timer for like, at, at this point, you need to make your final pivot on the eight part answer. And then we can move <laughs> on. Um, and it was great and fascinating and interesting, but that was very Tony. Um, mm -hmm. Gosh, I'm trying to think, I mean, one, okay. I mean, one thing that's also very quintessential Tony is when there's a new panelist that's going to come on the show. He'll send them this like incredibly thoughtful, either voicemail or text or email that like lays everything out. And here's why you're so great and why we want to have you. And here's all the things that we love about you and why you're going to crush it. And then here's what you need to know about the show and the logistics. And, you know, here's some, you know, pitfalls and other things to think about. And then here's how it's going to go. And here's who you're going to be with. And they're so awesome too. And let me tell you all about them and why you should love them and why they're so great. And so it's like this love fest. Like I always <laughs> think of like around the horn as like showing up every day to like a not dysfunctional family dinner where Tony's at the head of the table. And then we all like really have like a five man weave of like, yeah. of like really enjoying each other and, and taking shots at each other sometimes in a fun way. But like, it's a show that really gets to know the people. And so we get to know each other and that's all Tony because Tony reiterates and reaffirms the things about people that become sort of their calling card, which lets everyone else on the show know that and play around with it and lets the audience know that. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stories, but he's, he's the best. I think that's something that is, uh, and I think it's led by Tony, but that the show has done well in a general sense is sort of taken the like familial, fun, jovial feeling of like a 90s sitcom, 
but then continuing to evolve with that. So it's never, it never gets stale like that. We continue to evolve with the times and Tony continues to evolve as a host and the graphics on the show evolve and all of those things, but it continues to keep kind of that, that heart of it that's there and that nostalgic feeling to it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something wonderful about that. Um, Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up with some of your favorite things here, um, which are also some of my favorite things. (laughs) Two shows, Schitt's Creek and Ted Lasso, yes. um, that you have been as big of a proponent as anybody on the internet and on television that exists for these two shows. Um, and and honestly, they're two of my favorite shows now of all time. They have mm-hmm. so much heart. And it's so funny because one of them is is like directly a sports show in Ted Lasso. And then one of them has like one of my favorite sports episodes ever in its baseball episode. But Schitt's Creek is the furthest thing from a sports show. Um, What is it about those two that became such a draw for you and has had you, you know, telling everyone to watch them? Um, 100% it's the heart. Um, I am an empath and I feel things very Mm. deeply. And that is a wonderful quality sometimes. And it is also really difficult when things are hard. And so I don't really go seeking out entertainment about bad things. Um, I miss Mm. out on a lot of things that other people love and talk about all the time, but like, for instance, I didn't know what Mayor of Easttown was about. So I just started watching it when everyone said it was great. And then um, it was very compelling and I wanted to see what happened, but it was also like extremely hard for me to watch. And I like couldn't sleep when I would go to bed because I would be thinking about people in real life who are like dealing with these issues and opioids and teen pregnancy and like all this. So then I like binged it all in like two days. Cause I'm like, I want to watch, I want to see what happens, but I don't want this in my life. Where like, I tried to watch the one with, um, uh, Alexis from Schitt's Creek. It's called like, Pete can go off himself or Kevin can F himself. Kevin can go off himself. And I wanted to keep watching it. I was like, this is very well done, but like, it's really dark. And I go to bed and I'm like, um, everything's dark. And and I would like watch Mm -hmm. puppy videos before bed, or I would like have to watch a rerun of Schitt's Creek before bed. So then I'm like, I keep going to bed at two because I have to watch the thing I want to watch. And then I have to like layer it with some dessert before. um, Otherwise I have like wild nightmares and like, I am exactly yeah, the same so way. Like, I'm exactly I the same way. I seek out things that make me happy. Now, that, of course, doesn't mean that I ignore realities, but part of my job is, unfortunately, to be up with news and all the awful things. And so I do that with a spoonful of sugar with, you know, um, John Stewart and John Oliver and Full Frontal and Stephen Colbert and Daily Show. I'll, I'll watch all the things. Right. I'll keep myself up to date, but I'll do it with that little bit of, like, satire and snark to, like, get me through it without being like, holy shit, everything's the worst. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's the heart of both of those. Ted Lasso, I wasn't sure about the first ad. I was like, what are we doing here? So he doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about soccer and like what? And then a couple people on the internet were so over the top that I was like, all right, I'm in. And then it was like episode two. That's it. Holy crap. I'm so obsessed with this. It's joyful. It's thoughtful. It turns all the st- stereotypes of, of sitcoms on their head. It completely rearranges the ideas about masculinity and like, I I talked to Brendan Hunt about this, uh, Coach Beard, and he was on my podcast. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I like the most is at every turn, you have the setup and you have what the payoff would be on every other show is for the person in the setup to do the absolute dumbest thing possible. And then you'd have to clean it up. And in this show, they say it, they'll be like, well, you know, I want to punch you in the face, but instead you and I are going to talk about how we both love Keely. Right. And it's like, 
thank God. Cause I hate the shows that are just, they're, they're predictable. They're silly. They're absurd. Everyone, like, I don't really like the, everyone screws up. And that's like, like, I get it. Like meet the parents, meet the fuckers. Like it's funny, but I'm also like, just stop. Stop doing <laughs> right. shit. That's like stop making right. you old. Just, stop doing the stop wrong doing thing. The wrong thing Please. Um, and then Shit's Creek is very similar. It has tons of heart. It doesn't go the way you think it's gonna go. And then I think the writing is just so sharp. I mean, I like 30 Rock. I like all the shows where like you're just like impressed, but it, it doesn't take you out of the story. But in the moment, you're like, damn it. That's so good. It's like, and all the, all the characters and their language. And then again, how they kind of disrupt the expectations. Um, yeah, it's so good. It's a, it's a perfectly made show in my opinion. Yes. I think that the, the characters are so well fleshed yeah, out yeah. and yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I'm a gigantic fan and yeah. And Ted Lasso to be able to come up, I actually like, there was this weird thing that happened when everybody got so obsessed with Ted Lasso where I became very protective of Shit's Creek because it was uh -huh. all it was all like mid pandemic. Everybody decided yeah, yeah. to watch Shit's Creek sort of late into where yeah. both you and I were in terms of watching it. Right. And then everybody became such a fan and it was like, OK, hold on. That's still my right. show. Right. And then everybody right. so quickly moved on to Ted Lasso. It's like, hold on <laughs> a second. I'm Wait. still obsessed with Shit's Creek. So I was offended. <laughs> But it's okay. Everything's this worked like, out. This is like me for most of LeBron's career. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but but like Michael, Michael Jordan. <laughs> and like, That's exactly just, it. Just the last couple of years, I've been like, all right, we can like both. And like, yeah. all right, LeBron's pretty amazing. And he's a really good dude. And I'm going to like him instead of holding it against him that everyone's making me compare him to Michael Jordan. And so Ted Lasso is the LeBron James to Shit's Creek's yeah. Michael Jordan. That's what we've yeah, come to I'll figure out it. here. And I actually think it's a kind of good comparison, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Last note, uh, Christmas time coming up. I just want three Christmas movies that are three of your favorites that would be suggestions for folks to watch. Maybe maybe ones that, that you know that you think they haven't watched might yes. be a good suggestion here too. I know I'm thinking one of them that I'm hoping you say, and if you don't, I'll go ahead and okay. add it. So I'll start with two that maybe not everybody has watched. Um, the Holiday, I know most of my ladies have watched it, but The Holiday is always the first one I watch during the holiday season. Cameron Diaz acting terribly, really poor, <laughs> really not well, but still enjoyable. Kate Winslet, sure. a delight. There's a storyline with Kate Winslet and an old man, and it's just the most perfect. And it's 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 darling, and I love it. And The Holiday, you could watch it over and over and over again. It is one of those rewatchables. Jude Law, Jack Black, incredible. Have you seen it? I I actually haven't seen The Holiday. Jeremy. I know. So this is oh, part of why I'm asking you. Whole, it's part yeah, of why I'm asking you. Whole... You have to understand. You have to understand here. There's, first of all, being Jewish, the whole Christmas movie right. thing, it had to be an active choice, right? right. To go out and, and seek out Christmas movies. Yes. I'll be honest about The Holiday. Not a huge Cameron Diaz fan to begin with. And you right. saying she okay, acted but poorly. Listen, but I do matter. love Jack Black and I do love yes. Kate Winslet. And Jude yes. Law is a delight, obviously. Right. So okay, let me just I'll get to, I by telling you that Jack Black's character writes music for the movies. All right. I'm, There's yeah, a musical I'm, element. Right. That's it. And yeah, then the old man that Kate Winslet meets is this old time writer from the golden days of Hollywood. And she, it, it, it it's, yeah, I'm in, it's a delight. They it's everything houses. I can need in a movie. Yeah. You don't even really need to worry too much about Cameron Diaz acting poorly. There's too much else that's good in there. Okay. So okay. the holiday, and actually I'm going to follow up with you on that. I'm going to give you three weeks. 
you're gonna okay you're gonna give me that three weeks enough? yeah that's fine i'll, I'll 100 percent. it will be okay. watched in the next three weeks 100 okay. okay. yes. percent. do you have a do you have a lady friend yeah my i, I have a fiance <gasps> a fiance congratulations okay Thanks. So, um, she's probably already seen it, but you should, yeah, she probably it. has, and I'll force her to watch it. You should with watch her. it with her. Cause it's schmoopy and it's cute. It's a nice little holiday thing. Okay. Um, the next one is the night before. Yes. That's what I was hoping you okay. would suggest. The night before is so good. And every mm-hmm. year I just yell at people about it. Cause I'm like, have you watched it yet? It's right. so good. It's so rare to have a classic in my mind. The first mm-hmm. time you watch it, you're like, oh shit, this is, this is like going in the mix. I got to watch it every year. This is a classic. It's, it's Anthony Mackie, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of the guy who's from Chicago, who's a very dark guy. And um, he plays a lot of like simmering characters and he plays uh, the guy that they get oh, Mr. I'm Green Googling. from um, where they get the drugs from. Oh, this um, is going to kill me because it's doing the same thing. I'm having the right? same issue. What's that guy's name? Uh, and he, he celebrated his... Um, oh my uh, God, this cast really is crazy. I'm sorry. I'm just going back. Yeah, through Miley Cyrus it- makes an appearance. Um, yeah, Mindy Cantling's in it. Alana Glazer. Yes. Nathan Fielder. James yeah. Franco, briefly. Yeah, oh, James... Baron oh. Davis. And you have not seen this yet? I, I forgot that no, I have seen the night before. I forgot that all of these names were in it. I just forgot that all you of remember these names. the extremely memorable James Franco. No, I was just naming names. I was just looking First at makes the an appearance on a phone, if you remember, one of his body parts. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, forgot that's... Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan. I forgot. Baron Davis. Right. That's well, that's who I just said oh, that was the surprise. They cut it out of the like TV version, which is mm-hmm. why you cannot watch this in the TV version. If you go and you're like, oh, it's free though. No, no, no. Pay. We still didn't identify the person, by the way. It's Michael Shannon. Oh, yeah. Michael Shannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, by the way, like celebrated his Oscar night at Clark Street Alehouse here in Chicago, like a dive bar. How just, random. Like, I'm not going to ceremony. I'm just going to watch watch it on TV. At the, Anyway, he's amazing. Love that. The movie's so good. It incorporates so many, it, it takes so many turns. It's so funny. It's smart. It's hilarious. It's over the top. I mean, there's like mm-hmm. extreme drug scenes that are hilarious. There's sex scenes that are raunchy. There's a, a musical climax. Um, there's something for the Jews. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest um, way you could have said yeah. it. That's the fun- okay. and it's it's exactly right. It's it's the exact amount of something for the Jews as there yeah. is in that movie. Yeah. But man, well, the phrasing is then, perfect. And then the church scene where 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 the Jew really makes a scene. Uh yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, it is it is anyway, quite the movie, folks. Definitely an adult movie. Order. This is not for your children. The, like four ninety nine or whatever it is. Don't watch yep. the TV version. <laughs> and then the final one. I'm trying to think if there's like another one that I watch that not everybody watches because I do all the other traditional Home Alone, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. Um, uh, what else do I have to watch? I'm not. I'm not a Christmas Story person. Okay. I don't like. So that's Christmas good to know. Story. I think it's dumb. Um, yeah, it's a I'm hot sure take, other- but. I, yeah, I can't I totally disagree. Um, and I think I'm sure there's others that people kind of would add in there that and I probably watch those two that are like the go to's. Mine's Elf. That's it. Um, yep. Elf. elf. Is in that's my career. that's my every single year I have to watch Elf. And it's it's no discussion that will be watched. During Lately, I've Christmas also season. like gotten in the habit the last two years or so of like going to the uh, like Xfinity thing and then you can search and it will let you have just the holiday episodes. 
of a show. Oh, so you I can didn't watch... know you could do that. Oh, yeah. So you could just watch like Christmas Friends, Christmas The Office, Christmas Parks and Rec. It'll do that for you? Yes. <gasps> yes. Oh, this is something I've been doing like on my own, just Googling. Yeah, like, like, hey, when's the up? Christmas episode? What season? Oh, it's season four, episode 13. Yeah. Well, you go to like, at least on my cable, you go to like the, the guide thing and then you can search and it will do, it, it like pops up before you put anything in because it's Christmas time. How and it will cool. say Christmas episodes or it'll say like Christmas movies or whatever. And so, yeah. So I started, I watched the Ted Lasso Christmas episode again the other day. I, I'm putting that in the mix. And then always good to watch, you know, an office or two. Yep. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Parks and Rec, yeah. you can get to any of them, all, all of those. It's always good to add them in there. All right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. You just took an, an hour of your time to spend with me, and I, I cannot appreciate it any more than I'm expressing to you right now. Thank you so, 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 so much. Um, for, for those uh, looking for your content, which is all across ESPN airwaves, could you possibly just direct them in their quickest way? Yeah. And maybe even if you have like a favorite recent episode or of that's okay. what she said to direct people toward. Okay. So yeah, that's what she said. New episodes come out every Tuesday. Uh, the last couple have all been great. Kyle Brandt and I have met years ago. We still don't know where, but we, we could have been talking for hours and hours and hours. It was like, we were best friends. That one was really fun. And then um, the one with chef Edward Lee is a blast. So listen to that one. That's coming out. I can't wait. Week. Um, so yeah, every Tuesday I knew that's what she said. I'm usually on around the horn. It's, it was Tuesday, Friday, usually going to be Monday, Friday from here on out. So every Monday, Friday, pretty much on around the horn, I'll be on debatable this Wednesday. And so debatable usually maybe once a week or so, which is the new streaming show that you can find on Twitter, ESPN, YouTube, uh, Facebook, all those places it's to really live. And then you can find the podcast of it now on ESPN or the full show show on youtube or wherever the replays are um that's oh, spain and Fitz is every weeknight 7 to 9 p.m eastern on espn national radio of course you can get it on sirius xm channel 80 or streaming or wherever else you get that and we have a podcast if you can't catch it live and then i write for dot com and espnw and that kind of randomly whenever a topic comes up so you can keep an eye out for my the night before christmas poem that recaps yes. the entire year in sports rhyming which is a labor of love, truly. It's it's a lot. So everywhere is essentially what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So just everywhere. Just look everywhere and you will find Sarah Spain. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time. This was an absolute blast. Um, for those of you listening to this episode, you can watch the Panthers and the Heat all week long on Bally Sports Florida and Bally Sports Sun. Uh, you can stream that on the Bally Sports app. You can stream this podcast wherever you get podcasts. And hey, I haven't really asked before, but if you want to give us five stars and write a review, you should go ahead and do that. I'm just going to go ahead and say that you do should. It. So go ahead and do it. Sarah says smash so too. Smash that follow button. Yeah. <laughs> smash that subscribe button. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Sarah. And uh, have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.